0: Turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Not that you need a sermon after that, but you're not getting off that easy today. All right. Um, I'm going to begin tonight a series that'll go for the next, uh, I'm guessing, I'm planning on five weeks. We'll see what happens. And um, it's going to be about uh, the subject of adoption. And uh, I'll say a little bit more about kind of where this came from lately um, in a little bit, but. Uh, I was trying to think uh, in prepping for this, just in my my life, like where did adoption, when did I first, when was I first introduced to that concept? Um, and like most of, uh, I guess a lot of the kids of the 80s, it came from TV and movies and stuff, right? That's where we learned a lot of things. And so um, I think it was maybe a mixture of uh, different strokes. Remember different strokes? No? Okay. I forget how young some of you are, Uh, different strokes, but really probably the most, um, I don't know, the most profound interaction for me was uh, with the movie Annie. And I must confess, if, if we get to heaven and they're like, there are ways, just find out like statistics about your life. You know, like if you're like, um, so how many hairs were on my head, you know, at one point, or how many gallons of coffee did I drink in my lifetime, or whatever. If the question was what movie has Josh Cosby seen the most times, it's probably going to be Annie. I wish, I wish it was like Braveheart or Star Wars or like something, something else, but it's Annie. When I was a kid, uh, I, like I, I remember our first VCR, which was like about as big as this room, and. I remember getting it, and we, we didn't have any, like, original tapes. There was apparently a friend of the family who was into dubbing. Remember dubbing? Um, which is when you would, like, copy a tape onto another tape. But they never called it copying. They called it dubbing. And so we'd get, like, oh, we got a new dubbed tape of this. Um, and uh, we had it, because I remember it had, like, a piece of uh, masking tape on it. And it said Annie, and I remember what it looked like. And that's what me and my brothers wanted to watch, like, every single day. And Annie is about uh, and a, a little girl named Annie who is in an orphanage. And I remember, like, being so fascinated with the whole movie. Um, but the, there was this scene that always got me really, like, sad. And, uh, and so uh, there's, Annie is in, uh, and I watched it today to see if it still made me sad, and it does. Um, <laughs> like, I'm sitting there in my living room today just, like, crying, you know, like, what is wrong with me? Uh, it starts off. She's it's like at night and everyone's sleeping. She's sitting up in a window sill and she's singing this song called Maybe, and it's all about like her parents and how like she's like imagining what they're like and then uh, just how much she like uh, wishes that they could be reunited. And then it kind of pans to the other girls and they're all laying in the bed and they're listening to her sing and they're kind of dreaming. And this this whole idea that like here are these kids who are in this orphanage and all they want is a family, you know. And I remember as a child being so moved by that, but confused, you know, like, um, there is this, a difference, you know, when you're little and you watch a movie, you don't, that suspension of disbelief is very different when you're young, and so now you can watch a movie and you can just, you can, I don't know, it's just different, but then I remember thinking, these were real people, you know, and even though we watched it every single day, and Annie gets adopted at the end, spoiler, but... uh, all of it was it just moved me every single time, and I remember getting a little bit older and realizing that that 's not some like made up plot line you know that that's like like really happens everywhere and and as someone who grew up in like in a like in a family like mine, I just didn 't know that that stuff was real and as I got older, I was just exposed to it in, in like other kinds of ways that there are kids all around the world who for one reason or another. Are not raised by parents in a family. And it made me sad when I was a kid, and I didn't even know why, you know. And when I, as I got older, I realized that it makes me sad because that's not how God made the world to work. That there's a reason for that. There was a staff member at the church we went to growing up, and he, he and his wife uh, fostered and adopted uh, a little boy and a little girl. And so I remember not understanding what that meant and then like learning about foster care and adoption a little bit there. And I've uh, had friends and family over the years who have been a part of that. And now my middle brother, Drew, he and his wife, they're having a baby in a few weeks and they're signing adoption papers on two boys that they've been fostering uh, as well. And so adoption and foster care and all that stuff has come very close to me uh, through a number of ways and uh, in in over the years, especially hitting into my family recently. And have had a heart for it, and then I was in South Africa this summer, and we went to an orphanage there, and that just—that's where a lot of this stuff was birthed for us, as far as a sermon series goes. And I'll talk more about that in a second. Um, but adoption is like—it is not just a, its not just this like thing, this this really good and strong and powerful thing. Um, adoption is directly tied to the gospel. Is directly tied. Um, you you cannot understand earthly like relational adoption without understanding... like like you can't understand it fully without understanding like your adoption by God into His family. And so we're going to start there tonight, and and we're going to move from like some theological stuff into some practical things in the next couple weeks. So I hope that you'll hang in there a little bit. But we'll be in Galatians three, and uh, let me just, just read the starting in verse twenty three. And We'll see where this comes from and why I can say uh, that adoption and the gospel are the same thing. It says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imp- imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you uh, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let me just take that paragraph and kind of... um, Maybe unpack it just a little bit, and then we'll move into the next chapter. Um, so in, in verse 23, um, it starts off when it says, Now, it says, before faith came. This is not to say that uh, Jesus, when Jesus came, that was like the starting point, the origin of faith in general, because the entire Old Testament is talking about these patriarchs and all these figures having faith in God and Him sending the Messiah and Him keeping His promise to Abraham. So it's not talking about faith in a broad sense. It's talking about faith in a very specific sense. Like faith in the in the finished work of Jesus on uh, his life, or his incarnation, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, his continual reign, like that whole thing, being very specific in Christ. That's what he's talking about, when faith came. Um, and what that is really saying is that, uh, is that Jesus and his specific him the specific path to salvation is contrasted with having to do the works of keeping all the rules and the law. This letter is is written because there's some confusion about keeping the Jewish laws or is it faith in Christ? And there's just there's some just a lot of disagreement about things. And so Paul is being very clear that faith in Christ, faith in Jesus and his completed work, that that is the pathway to salvation and not keeping the rules. But he's not saying that the rules are, are evil. The Bible actually says that the law, the law is holy. And the reason is if you, if you look in 23, it says, before faith came, before, so before that specific faith in Jesus, um, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. When you when you see words like being captive and imprisoned and a guardian, um, it seems kind of daunting. But the law—so when God gave the the Ten Commandments, there was the um, like the laws that came along with Jewish life, and certainly the rabbis and different folks had added a bunch of stuff to it. But the law that God gave was not this evil thing. This law it had a very specific function. Um, the law was was a it was a mirror for them. I've talked about this, it was it's been a number of years now, but but the, the Ten Commandments are like a mirror, you know. So when God says, Hey, don't murder, and you're like, Yeah, but I really want to murder. He's like, Yeah, that's a problem. You're like, Oh, okay. So this 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 law that he would give them helped them to see their, their own brokenness, whereas they probably didn't really think anything was wrong. So when God says, what I want you to do is to not do this, and all you want to do this, all you want to do is that very thing, you see that conflict that's there. And he's like, yeah, exactly. So you, it helped them to see their own sinfulness. It helped them to see that they needed uh, divine help. They needed a redeemer to come. The law served to, to point them to Jesus. The law also served to, um, to help their sins be... Um, Tamed, if you will. It's like a, its like keeping things in check, you know. And so, if sin just left un- unattended to, is just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And we see that all over the world. We see just the craziest things happening right now. And you're like, what? "What? How's this? How can this go on?" Well, it's like, well, that's what happens when sin just spirals out of control. So, the people of God, He gave them these laws to help sin. Help them not only see their own sinfulness and see the need of a redeemer, but to like keep them in bounds. To train them in the ways of the kingdom. And so it's kind of like with your with your kids, you know, those of you that have small kids, they are not able to understand some things. And so you set up rules for them. They don't understand the danger of playing in the street. So you tell them, you can't play in the street. You can't go past the whatever, the last crack in the driveway or the sidewalk or something. You know, you set up these rules because they don't understand yet exactly what could happen there. They don't understand the hot stove, so you tell them to stay away from it. They don't understand some certain things. And so you have these rules, and it's not that you're trying to uh, dominate over them. You know, you're taller, you're stronger, you're smarter. You win. Okay, you have the you have the money. Like you have all the control. It's not that you're trying to dominate them. It's trying. You're trying to keep them safe and protect them from their own curiosities and their own like true just ignorance about how things work. And those rules stay in place until they get old enough to where they start to understand. So if your kid is 35 years old and you're still telling them don't play in the street. Okay, that's, your, that's your problem, right? They've, they've grown, they've matured, they understand the dangers of streets. They understand the danger of a hot stove. They understand those things. So rules, in part, are put in place to protect you from what you just don't really fully understand yet. And so the law that God gave, it, it was a mirror that helped them see their sinfulness and their need of a redeemer. It helped train them in the ways of the kingdom. That in the kingdom of God, murder is not how you deal with your anger problems. In the kingdom of God, you honor your parents. You know, those kinds of things. Training them, but also helping keep sin in check so that the people of God are like stand out different from the rest of the world that's just spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. So that's the point of the law. So when he's saying it's, it was imprisoned and you were captive and it was a guardian, he's, helping, he's wanting us all to understand that there, they're just there's a point in our own spiritual, emotional, whatever, development, where we just didn't understand the things of God in the way that we should. And so he's actually helping us. And the law is this beautiful, holy gift. But the thing is, that gift was unable to, it was unable to give life. It could keep you in place, but it, it, it couldn't mature you to the point of where you understood why murder was, was not what God had for you. So, it didn't give you any life, it just kind of kept you in the lanes, you know. And so, when Jesus came, he's the one that comes and frees you from that law and helps, to under, helps you to understand exactly what all was what all going on and why the laws were, were keeping you from destroying yourself. So, verse 25 um, says, Now that faith has come, okay, so faith in Christ has come. We're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you're all sons of God through faith. That now, when you've come to know Christ, you are removed from this, um, this structured, rule-based situation. And now you're able to be free, and He Himself is able to train you now to understand the dangers of sin. The beauty of holiness. To understand why murder is not a kingdom thing. That's not how you deal with your anger. To understand forgiveness, to understand honoring your parents, to understand the Sabbath, to understand why we don't steal, to understand why we don't covet, like those kinds of things. So he has freed us from something, and he has got us to the point where now we're able to really get why those rules were good. But we don't have to live by them anymore, because he's making us into the kind of people who naturally follow those things. So we're free from the rules... But we're free in order to follow him in deeper ways by faith and by grace, and not by just trying to toe the line. So that's one of the big differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. Verse twenty-six says, "For so he says, we're no, not under a guardian anymore because now we're all sons of God through faith." So here's the—that's the first mention of this idea that we have gone from. Uh, one situation to another situation. That we are now sons, and by that term "sons" is not—it has nothing to do with gender. It's—he's getting into some inheritance talk, and so it's really—we just think children that we're sons of God now, and God doesn't put his sons and daughters under this in imprisonment law guardian situation anymore. Now he's brought us to where he himself is our is like discipling us and training us and investing in us because he is our Father and we are his sons and his daughters. Verse 27 uh, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male and female. For all for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you're in Christ, and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. What it really comes down to here is this, this reality, that Jesus, Jesus changed everything. When he came to earth and, and did that whole thing, he changed everything. And at some point, if you're a Christian, you realize who he is and what he's done. And you heard his invitation to come to him, and you went, and everything about you changed. Like, literally, everything about you. And even though, we're, sometimes we look at our external stuff, you know, and, and the, the patterns and behaviors and those kinds of things, and we say, you know, I, I didn't go from, like, being, like, uh, really evil to being, like, a perfect angel, you know, like, I kind of... I still kind of struggle with some of those same things. That's not, that's not what is being taught here. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible is saying. Even if your patterns and your behavior are the same, internally you're not who you were. You were in bondage and now you are free. And so now if you're being dumb, you're, being, you're someone who knows better. But you're just still being dumb. Before you didn't know any better. But now you do. Like he's literally changed everything about your life. He's ushered us into this new reality as sons and heirs. And so, when we were in South Africa this summer, uh, I was a part of a team. There's like fifty or sixty of us from around the country, and maybe fifteen or twenty from Baton Rouge that were there. And um, there was one day where we went to we went to this place that I have heard of since I went three years ago for the first time, but I didn't go then. Um, it's called Door of Hope. And um, I always just kind of thought that that was like a really like beautiful name for an orphanage. The Door of Hope, you know. Um, but then I, like, I guess I learned what's different about this. That there's an actual door. And um, so this orphanage is, is in this kind of a compound kind of deal in Johannesburg. And there's a gate like an entry gate and stuff, and there's a wall, and there's this door, and there's an actual, like, little like, door of hope. And in the door, there's this, uh, like, sliding little, little window kind of deal. And you slide it back, and there's a, there's a box built, like, where the contents of the box are the other side of the wall. And so, um, you open up that door, and anyone in Joburg who uh, wants to get rid of their baby can go to Door of Hope, open the door, put their baby in the box, and close the door and just walk away. Now, this place exists because people abandoning their babies, murdering their babies, all that kind of stuff, is normal practice there. And so this church started this place and put the word out with the police and with everyone around that said, if you find a baby, if you hear of someone wanting to give their baby up or whatever... Tell them to bring it here. We'll take care of it. And so the, you open, they would open the door, put the baby inside, close the door, and there's a little alarm that goes off and alerts the people inside. And they turn on the cameras because sometimes people just see a little door and they're curious, you know. So they look on the camera to see if there's a baby inside. And if there's a baby inside, uh, they you know, rush out very quickly and take the baby. And there's all this procedure, you know, to um, medical care, you know, all that kind of thing. And they file a report with the government and they do all those things. So we go to Door of Hope and to just see on the other side of the wall this box sticking out. And to know the the pain and the heartache that must lead to a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather or friend or whatever having to put a baby in the box is just it was it was moving so we go inside, and we go, they take us on a tour, and we get to the back, and uh, they're like these little, like I don't know, maybe like two- or three-year-olds, and it's like snack time, and so we get to go hang with them at snack time. and uh, So the ladies that work there, they're just kind of telling us their procedures and different things, and they said, I, I believe that it was fourteen or 1,500 babies have come through Door of Hope since they opened it, um, and they, uh, they will only place these babies with Christian families. And so they don't just be like, anybody that will adopt them, you know, take them. It's like, it's an adoption agency, and they have right of refusal, you know. And they vet everybody who wants to to adopt one of their babies. And so I was just kind of like computing all this, you know. I was like, here, you, you have these little kids sitting there. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at these kids, and I'm like, they are on a completely different trajectory in their lives because of this place. And because some faithful saints recognized that adoption is the gospel, and said it's not right for kids to, um, to be abandoned like this, and so they did something about it. In 1400, 1500,, people are all around the planet right now who maybe would have been left for dead or killed or you know whatever. And now they are in Christian homes. And I, granted, that doesn't guarantee everything's okay, but I just remember I was just standing there and I was just putting all that together and the Lord really just impressed upon me. He's like, that's what I did with you. I did the same thing with you. You were on a completely different trajectory in your life until I stepped in. And it was one of those, I was like, oh, Jesus is the door of hope. I get it, you know. It's like, yes, that, yes, Absolutely. That because of what he has done and adopted us into his family, nothing about us is ever going to be the same. Ever, 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 ever again. How amazing is the gospel? That we were orphans, we were aliens, we were on our own, we were headed down a path of destruction, and he stepped in. And now, I mean, we have not only eternity, but we have these moments with Him and with each other as sons and daughters. So, look look at the next few verses in chapter 4. I'm not a Greek scholar, or I'm not a scholar of anything, really. But it really seems like Paul just says the same thing he just said, but a different way to me. Look at this next paragraph. He says, I mean that the air... As long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Again, he's saying that, that really you're you're under guardianship and management until un, until your father says that you're old enough to receive your inheritance. Then until that time it happens, we're we're being tended to by something else. For them, it was the law. For us. Um, like it was, you know, unless you're Jewish, it wasn't the law, but it was kind of your own laws, right? And he says, In the same way, also, when we were children, we enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, uh, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He's saying, because Jesus came, everything is different for you now. And you need to understand that everything is different, you are different. I am different. We are different. So I want to, very, very quickly, I want to run through seven things about adoption. Um, And I mean quickly, so don't don't roll your eyes at me. I felt it. Uh, Seven things about adoption that are significant that we learn from these verses. In particular, I'm I'm really just going to look at uh, verse 4 and 5. First thing, adoption is planned and executed. Verse 4 says that when the fullness of time had come, what that means is at the perfect moment, out of all moments in history, when the perfect moment was there, Jesus showed up. That his incarnation could not have been timed any better. It was precise and that his life was precise, and that everything about the cross was precise, and all, everything about the resurrection was precise, and ascension, and his, everything that's happened, everything about Jesus was 100% planned, that all adoption works that way. You don't accidentally adopt a child. You plan it. You prep for it. God did the same thing with your adoption. He planned for you. And made it happen in just the right way at just the right time. And if you look back on like, when you, those moments when you've realized who he is, none of those were random. They may have felt random, but they were not random. That your adoption was planned and executed with great precision. Second point. Adoption is a choice that God made. Adoption is a choice that God made. Verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. He like, decided to do this. He made a conscious decision to adopt. So personalize it. God made a conscious decision to adopt you, to choose you. This is His restoration. The gospel is restorative. He's choosing to make family out of people who were his enemies. But really they were family before they were enemies. That prodigal son type story. The younger son was family and then he went away and squandered everything and then he came back and the father said, "Come on." And that story he wasn't adopted. In our story, we're adopted into his family on purpose. God made a choice. Number three. Adoption is costly. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. He sent Him, and we know where He he sent Him. He sent Him to the cross to die. It costs God a great deal to adopt us. People sometimes... They talk about the cost of of adoption these days and how that's a deterrent. There are really, really affordable ways to adopt kids. So don't get caught up in the myth that it's going to cost you like $6 billion because it's not. There are expensive adoptions as well, yes. But no adoption costs more than your adoption. Nothing has cost more than my adoption. For it to cost God His Son. It's costly. Alright, moving on. Next point. What is this, four? All right, four? Adoption has specific purposes. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption. There's great purpose and planning in uh, in His adoption of us. His agenda is very clear. He wanted to make things right. He wanted us to be right with Him and to be right with each other, and we could not do that without His help. So His adoption was not just like, "Oh, I think it might, you know, it might be cool to have a bunch of, like, literally a bunch of kids." He's like, "No, I gotta fix this, and I'm gonna fix this." And so there's a purpose. He's not brought you into his family for you to just kind of coast. For you to just be apathetic about following him and loving him and serving him and serving others. It's purposed. Next. Adoption is driven by love. It's not really in this passage, but it was too good of a point to pass up. Um, But in Ephesians 1, uh, you can just write down 4 through 6. It says this. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. That love is what drove His adoption. He wasn't obligated. He wasn't just having a good day. He wasn't indifferent about it. That His love for you is why He adopted you. No weird motive, just pure, holy agape. For you and for me. So if all this doesn't make you feel loved, then I'm not sure what else to offer you. (laughs) This should make us understand the value he places on us. Number six, adoption is fully informed. Verse five says, uh, born born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Jesus knows exactly what he's getting into with adopting you. Okay? Father, Son, and Spirit, they're not up there being like, what is wrong? What's wrong with these people? Oh, Jesus lived here. He, he, he understands. He knows. He knew exactly what he was getting into. My brother and sister-in-law, in their like, fostering and adoption of these boys, there were some difficult days. They didn't go into it with ignorance. They went into it fully informed that there were going to be some difficult days. If these kids had been through some things, and the, um, they shouldn't be surprised by some of this stuff, and everything was going to be okay. And they prayed their way through it, and they talked through it, and they got help from professionals, and there were just some difficult days. But there were more great days. But the thing is, if they had not been informed, they'd have probably turned turn around a long time ago. Jesus was, is very much informed about how difficult this world is. So don't feel like he's frustrated with you as if he cannot understand. Number seven, adoption is a choice that we make as well. In chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, we talked about, it says, But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. That he initiates the adoption and we agree. That we trust him in this. We, we join Him at the table. He doesn't force us. So you make a choice as well. You make a choice to live as a son or daughter of the king of the universe, or to live otherwise. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be an heir, and all the things that we have inherited. But I think for tonight, the whole point is for us just to be kind of amazed at the adoption of process that God has initiated for us. That in love he made a choice and planned it at great cost to him. He knew exactly what he was getting into and he's not regretted adoption for one second of your life. Because he loves us. And we should be in awe of him and receive that love and love him back. So that's the simple beginning. I know it's probably a little longer than you thought, but maybe maybe sometimes we just need to be stunned a little bit by Him and by what He says in His Word. So we're just going to sing a little bit, and then uh, we're going to be done. So let me pray for us. Let's stand together. Lord, You did not have to do this for us. You didn't adopt us because You needed You needed us, or there was a void. You know, you needed some help. You needed some people to hang out with. You you adopted us because that's who you are. You're holy and blameless and filled with love for your creation and filled with grief over what sin has done to break us. And you're filled with confidence in your ability to change our lives and heal us and restore us. And so God, we acknowledge that our adoption has cost you greatly. Jesus, we acknowledge that you willingly played a role to make sure that we could have a seat at the table. To make sure that our lives could be changed forever. As you are literally the door of hope that we pass through into a life that is completely uh, completely different, so we love you very much, and we are grateful and as we um, we're just going to try to put some some of our thoughts and feelings into words through these songs and pray that that you hear us you know that you hear the real us thanking you and acknowledging what you 've done and saying it 's not lost on us, the fact that we should not be here. We should not be sons and daughters. We should, apart from your grace, that door of hope would never have even been an option. We love you and we sing to you and about you and for you as we pray these prayers together.